20 minutes it is after 8 p.m. We now go into our round table and uh, this evening uh, we take a look at some of the reports that are coming through here about uh, the horrific stresses uh, experienced by many health uh, care workers as it relates to mental health strain uh, arising of course from work having to work under very trying and uncertain conditions uh, brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, SADAG, uh, said health workers were already under extreme pressure and uh, facing burnout uh, before the pandemic struck in South Africa with uh, doctors more than 2.5 times more likely than the other uh, compatriots to commit suicide. We're going to touch on this issue uh, this evening with uh, Zanele Nomtigenya, who's the secretary for the Gauteng Community Health Workers Forum. Uh, also joined on the line by Yanga Boy, who's a professional nurse specializing in critical care in the ICU at uh, the Tele Mohwerane Regional Hospital out in Fos Loras. And also Dr. Tsepire Tladi joins me on the line. Medical doctor and the vice chairperson of the Junior Doctors Association. Uh, Zanele, Yanga and uh, Tepile, good evening and welcome. Hi, Andile. Hey. Good evening, Ayabong. 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 and the listeners. <laughs> oh, Good evening. Thank you so much. For Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Uh, yeah, Andile, <laughs> Andile. Yeah, um, guys, it's a real pleasure to have you. It's a real pleasure to have the the, the three of you. Um, and maybe, Susanela, I want to start off with you. Uh, because I guess in many ways, you know, community health workers have, uh, in many cases, borne, you know, a considerable amount of the strain that has been brought about by this. I mean, you guys engage in home-based care. Uh, you go out and you popularize certain messages from a prevention perspective and even dealing uh, with some of the, uh, uh, you know, links to the curative part of our healthcare system. What has been the experience of yourself and some of the members of your organization during this moment? Um, and I guess we'll also get an opportunity to hear uh, from the nursing profession and also some of the doctors as well. Uh, good evening, Ayabangwa and the listeners. Uh, my name is Vanele Nomtikinya. Uh, I'm rep- uh, representing CHWs and I'm the secretary of Gauteng Community Health Care Workers. Mm. Referring to your question, Ayabangwa, we as a community health care workers, we are facing uh, difficulties and some kind of stress with dealing with this pressure of COVID-19. Uh, because recently we are screening uh, and it's difficult to, to, to produce a state on this. Remember that we are, we are visiting households each and every day. And, we are, it, and it happened that when you go to the household trying to register, you don't know whether you are to go to get a COVID there unless you screen the, the, the particular person and tell you uh, the symptoms maybe, uh, or due to the screening, you can get that the, the particular person you can refer uh, for further investigation. So happening it's of which that is not good enough to ask questions and believe that when they when they ask, it, it's not fair of being isolated and leave the children behind. So sometimes we, we don't get a straight answer when we are trying to 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 screen because of the, the the stigma and everything. So the other people, since you know that uh, COVID nineteen is a it's dangerous and it's a deadly disease. So so now. They feel guilty if they tell you about the COVID that they are they are they they are having symptoms. Uh, they feel that they, they 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 are being stigmatized. So 
sometimes you, you end up getting the, 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 the wrong screening because of when you ask about the cough and everything, they're mm. going to tell you that, no, we are not coughing, we are fine. But at the end of the day, those, those people are, are he's having an, a virus. Mm. But when you're screening, you don't get the exact stats out of them. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess for, for Nina, I mean, the, the challenges that come with the insecurity of the work that you do, I mean, we've certainly spoken about this uh, on this platform before. Um, you know, are you happy that in the current moment uh, your role has been recognized, uh, recognized enough uh, to feel that you have the security of Abantaba Sebenza? No, the security is very, yeah, having difficulties in terms of uh, security. Mm. First of all, I'm going to start with the issue of PPEs. We are not, uh, we, we feel that the department is not covering us enough in terms of PPEs mm. and in terms of uh, contracting a virus for us. So, for us, we feel we are not protected. Uh, the other thing is the pressure of work. We are now experiencing huge pressure because of now we have to deal with uh, our daily work. With, we, we visit door-to-door, and now there's a state of COVID-19, and we have also have to do our campaigns and everything. So our work, like I feel good the department have more mm. to hire more HWs to come and magnet because sure, of now we sure. have we run off we are stressed okay all right uh, thank you very much for sharing some of those experiences uh, and maybe younger let me bring you in there you know you you are a professional nurse uh, specializing in critical care you're out in force loras uh, we're in the third wave Ngoku, um, and we've seen the preceding first and second waves um, and the role of the entire health system, not just the doctors, yourselves as professional nurses, some of the auxiliary nurses you work alongside, right through to the community health workers uh, and many of the other home-based care workers who have had to deal with this particular issue. Just share with us some of the experiences that you've had, I mean, uh, and the experiences that stand out for you, uh, you know, uh, in dealing with this, uh, with this pandemic. Uh, first of all, I, uh, let me thank you very much uh, for providing us with this opportunity. Um, it is it is it is less spoken of in terms of mm. the struggles that the healthcare workers go sure. through on a daily basis, especially in the midst of this pandemic. Um, <laughs> it is highly appreciated, Aya. Aya, I also happen to be the second deputy president of Young Nurses in the Trade Union. Yes, so yes. I also do have actually very much broad spectrum in terms of the challenges that the nurses would have. Because um, these are issues that we get to engage on on a day-to-day basis with, with many other nurses, not just probably the ones that I'd be working with in, in my institution, but throughout the provinces as well as throughout the nation at, at large, moment. Mm. Um, it, it, it's a very challenging time. I mean, from the inception of, of this COVID uh, <clears throat> thing that came into the country, you would, you would understand that the scare that was there just for the general population of saying here is a, a here's a disease that we do not know how to control and how to manage, and it, it is to attack us and how mm. we are about to fight this condition. No one knew, no one understood how they're going to do it. But nonetheless, the healthcare workers, being the doctors, the nurses, and many other frontline workers, had to be the people that would say they'll be on the front line. Be it we wanted to be there or not, Aya, but the job that we do required us to be exactly at the forefront. So from the from the beginning. Uh, fear had actually engulfed us in, 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 in greatness 
and that actually works with the psyche. And now having to be the fighters out there left in the battlefield to actually do what is required in order to fight this unknown, this un, this had never been seen kind of devil that we needed to fight. And it is unfortunate, Aya, that we had to actually go through that fight mm. without the necessary support that was needed, mm. meaning the government that we work for, the, the, the institutions that we work in, had little to offer us in order to fight this. We were literally left as soldiers in the mm. war without guns. Younger, just paint yes. for us, I mean, at the start. Um, so, Kabuya yes. Ka- <clears throat> to around the 28th, 29th of March, 2020. When the lockdown starts, by then, of course, the you know you would have dealt already with this virus. But paint um, a picture for me at what was happening there at Telemokwerane uh, in yes. terms of dealing with this issue. There's a lockdown outside; uh, it's level five. We didn't know it was level five then. But what's yes, happening yes. in your world at that point? That, um, what was actually happening? What, what I would tell you um, at the time, actually, of, of the time that you are basically uh, pointing out in March, sometime last year, mm. I, I I was in school. I was doing the, the critical care training. Sure, sure. So I was largely based in Pretoria at the time. But what I, it's, it's that there was always those uh, constant communication with my fellow colleagues at Telemukharan and many other mm. hospitals. But the one thing that was happening, my man, was the panic mm. within the nurses. It was the panic and the fear. Remember, man, we, we only knew about this disease sometime in Jan. And we were told that it was it has started to hit China around November and December, mm. and we in, in South Africa starting to know about it in January, and then February. Now we're speaking of the possibilities of actually coming into the country because we're starting to spread to other countries. And in March, eventually we started actually uh, having cases. So in China, what they did is that they built a hospital that was to deal with these COVID particular COVID patients, mm. and. The idea that we actually seen has happening in, in China, it was almost a situation that we hoped we would see in South Africa. And that was never the case. Because from patient number one, patient number two started coming in, and then many patients coming in, and then hospitals started admitting these patients. Remember, it was going to be a thing of a story of, yo, Jobet Chen says they have the patient. Mm. Steve Pretoria says now they have two patients. Mm. And it had not yet arrived in the other hospital. Then the moment numbers started rising, and then almost every hospital started to have one, two cases. Mm. Now, we do not know how to manage this. We had no abilities of saying, this is one way of, of, of actually managing this condition. Now, remember, there's fear because we do not know who has to work and how, they have to, how, how to treat these patients, basically. So that's where the fear was from the beginning, my man. And then there was chaos because the implementation of care for this patient, it's something that was unknown. And we were just thrown in the deep end of saying, you will do what you know to do in nursing any other patient. And not just that. Remember, this this was a condition that actually had that stigma of saying, if it gets you, my man, it gets you and you are gone. So, so would you say, yeah, would you say at that early stage that a lot of the sort of spillover transmission uh, happened Absolutely. because there wasn't a way to contain some of the early cases? And in Absolutely. a way, many of the facilities became, I guess, a conduit uh, for the mass transmission of this disease? Uh, decisions were made in a panic, Aya. Mm. Decisions were made in, 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 in a state of panic because you, you, you now needed to provide a cubicle that would probably two-bed or five-bed a cubicle to say this is where we're going to treat any patient who comes in with COVID. But two patients became five patients and five patients became ten patients. Mm. And now it is out of control. 
Now the hospital can only do so much to provide care for these patients. And then eventually it means now we must now convert the entire unit. Now, if you convert the entire unit, then what happens to the duties, the normal duties of this particular unit? Then it means now these patients must be moved to other units where now the care is almost sort of neglected for your general conditions or rather the general patients that were there without this particular one. Because you are facing an unknown adversary right now. And that is what was happening. And those decisions were made in a state of panic. And now everyone is in panic and is in fear. And your the call fear that actually was hold. The wait. fear that was happening on, on, on the healthcare staff, my man, it, 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 is, it is very dire, probably, because right mm. now your call um, has you, been you hear nurses who, are being, who are being told, you've been allocated to go work in the COVID unit. Mm. And the first thing that the person would say, do you really hate me that much that you want me to go work there? Eesh. And then people started actually bring up issues. But you know I'm diabetic. You know I'm hypertensive. Mm. No one wanted to be there. Bro. I am nursing my mother. I have kids. I have so and so. It was everything we could think of. What if I go there and I contract this condition and there is no reverse? Mm. That, is the type of, uh, that is the type sure, of fear my sure, that sure. helped us in the beginning of this pandemic. Yanga, Kabubambi phone phone ya bonba bonba phone. Kauza hapa Metro FM talk abanba yotuka mama klesha ba phone ya ba day ya kuva phone rate ya ya. But let's bring in uh, let's bring in Dr. Tladi uh, on some of the uh, issues here. Uh, good evening, Doc. And uh, I guess you know in the same vein that I've asked some of your your colleagues. Um, you know, as doctors, you often seen I guess that um, you know uh, from from a responsibility perspective at the apex of uh, some of the clinical responses to, to something uh, as uncertain, heavily mutating uh, in strains as, as we see with COVID-19. Same question to you. I mean, paint a picture for us of uh, uh, maybe in the second wave, um, around the tail end of the year, what was your experience? And uh, many of your colleagues, we've heard horrific stories, people overworked, uh, people getting into accidents, committing suicide, substance abuse, um, which is all really largely dealing with um, the anxiety, the angst, and uh, much of the uncertainty brought about by this pandemic. Yeah, Maula Budi. Um, thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, no, as I'm listening to Uyanga, I am just reliving the trauma that was 2020 as a healthcare worker. Um, you know, at the end of the first wave, I can speak for... 90%, if not all, healthcare workers um, we, that we were burnt out. You know, we had gone through an experience that we had never envisaged, and we had seen many, many, many people die. And we have seen people die because of um, a lack of things that we generally took for granted. For example, oxygen. Furthermore, we have seen colleagues die. We have seen colleagues burn out. Mm. We have seen things that, you know, we never imagined we'd experience in our careers. Um, so going into the second wave, you know, understandably there was a lot of anxiety amongst healthcare workers, um, especially because for most of us, we believe that after the first wave, we've done, whew, we've experienced it, you know, we, we are moving on towards to, towards normalcy. Um, little did we know the second wave was going to be even worse. You know, um, one of the challenges that that healthcare workers have had to deal with during 
all the waves of COVID is the issue of burnout and moral injury. Um, I think burnout is something that we all understand, and that is your brain's fatigue to to constant stresses um, in your everyday life, and that leads to a lot of um, physical and mental side effects. Um, those one of those being depression, mm. another being anxiety, the other physical ones is fatigue, loss of appetite, um, you know, not caring, and that can have uh, an impact on how you continue to treat your patients going mm. forward. Um, the other issue is moral injury. Moral injury is is a, is a, a state of, um, of guilt, I guess, associated with having to make decisions that um, are against your moral beliefs. You know, during the, the, the first and the second wave, and currently now I'm sure a lot of doctors and healthcare workers can 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 agree to this that you often have to make decisions that you are not qualified to make. Mm. You know, you make decisions such as okay, <laughs> we only have one oxygen port. We've got three patients. Who gets it? Mm. You know, yeah. and that decision is solely based on arbitrary things such as age, um, comorbidities, what you think, um, uh, who you think is going to survive. Um, compared to the other two patients. And we know that the, this COVID virus does not really, it's not really pre- predictable. We know at the beginning we said that um, the most people at risk of dying from COVID are those with comorbidities, those who are obese and, um, yeah. Uh, but we've seen that, you know, and those who are older, and, and we've seen that, you know, younger people with no comorbidities have died from it. And we've seen older people with all the comorbidities have survived it, mm-hmm. you know? So there's no... One simple way to say, oh, okay, you deserve oxygen and you don't deserve mm. oxygen. And once you've made that decision and you say, okay, I give patient A oxygen and I give patient A you know, all the resources that I have, and unfortunately patient B and C, um, there's nothing I can do for them. You know, mm. um, That's the impact of not treating somebody like that, especially because we want to treat everybody. It, it sits negatively on you. And yeah. that can predispose you to further mental health issues. And that's what most of us have gone through mm. with, with this COVID pandemic. And now the saddening thing about it is that, you know, we understood that in the first wave, we were all going through this for the first time. We thought, okay, um, this has happened. We, we've now seen it, right? The second wave, you would think that, oh, okay, there's better preparation from our employers, from you know, other stakeholders that are involved in um, the the way the the, the, the way we treat um, the, the the COVID patients, you know, uh, you would think that there have been lessons learned. There's been lessons lessons learned um, to help uh, alleviate the stress that we go through. But mm. you know, second wave came came and went, and there were no lessons learned. It didn't seem that way. The third wave has come and is, co- is coming, and it's, it's hitting our province. Mm. very hard and it's likely to hit other provinces very hard and you look back and you think and you know and at the end of the day you as a healthcare worker you have to wake up you have to um, leave everything behind you and go face this daily pandemic knowing very much that the people who are supposed to be looking out for you are not doing that so you feel like you're just going out to war without any protection at the end of the day Mm. And you know, maybe just the last one before we go to 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 an ad break because I can see an ad break. Um, just with with the picture that you've painted, one gets a sense that on the one hand, there's the 
sort of uh, angst, anxiety and depression brought about by having to deal with death, severe illness every single day. But some of it is also, I guess, around work processes because I guess, you know, there's a composition and a structuring of work processes in a hospital, for instance, uh, that uh, would guide how people work and interact with each other, how you divide the labor among all of you. Um, have those caught up with uh, the burden that this has placed on the healthcare system? Because seemingly one gets a sense that, uh, you know, there's a ton loads of work, but seemingly not enough people to do it. Yeah, um, you're very much right about that. Um, the, from my experience, you know, when you have such a great workload, you know, it's not a, sometimes there's not even time to say, okay, guys, let's divide and conquer. Mm. It's often a, a thing of, okay, guys, we need to start working now and we'll see what happens at the end of the day yes. and that's how often we have to survive. Obviously, we need to do it strategically so that there's progress at the end of the day. Mm. But, you know, there's no time thinking about, oh, you know, it would be nice if we had two more nurses in this ward or mm. we had one more doctor here, you know, because you know that's not going to change anything. Sure, and unfortunately, sure. that predisposes us to making mistakes. But that's, that's what we have to do in order yeah. to help as many people as possible. Ish. Folks, hold the line there for me uh, for a second while we take a quick spot break. And uh, yeah, this show, of course, uh, dedicating it to all of the health workers that continue to uh, place life and limb uh, at risk uh, while they uh, continue to be at the front line of our healthcare response uh, to COVID-19. We'll continue after this brief break uh, with our conversation uh, with Zanele Yanga and Tepile as well. It is indeed Metro FM Talk and uh, we have our roundtable uh, this evening with health workers where we are discussing uh, the uh, yeah significant and invaluable contribution that they've made and uh, the burden that's come with that contribution, of course, on their own mental well-being. And I'm joined by Zanele Nomtigenya, who's a secretary at the Gauteng Community Health Workers Forum. Younger boy also joins me, a professional nurse at the Tele Mojuerane Regional Hospital in Fosloras and uh, also joined by uh, Dr. Tsepi Letladi, a medical doctor and the Vice Chairperson of the Junior Doctors Association of South Africa. So, Sanele Manbuela Goe, and I guess it you know, has to do with um, a similar sort of question to what I asked uh, Dr. Tladi earlier, which is Did you feel, on the one hand, that Umsebenzi, Uyewamninzi, during the COVID 19 moment, um, and there were maybe just too few people who were doing that type of work, or there wasn't enough recruiting of community health workers? And if so, what lesson can we learn from that experience? Yeah, yeah. What I can say, umsebenzi wana uye wabamning as amakunit health care workers. Because manje, what's happening is, ma, if we go ugyo ugyo screen, hence mshido nakali, ubamning in terms of ugyo manje, we have our daily practice work. Now we have another load of being a uh, COVID-19 load now. So in that manner. Mm, mm. And, and in terms of recruiting new people, I mean, the work that you guys do um, is not only valuable during COVID-19. I mean, if I think about some of the home-based and preventative work that uh, community health workers do um, and with the high unemployment that we have, have we seen yes, a recruitment? Yes, have have we people been recruited? More community health care workers. In fact, we have. We we could be happy if the government could reinstate our community healthcare workers. Mm. Those were the part of us before our permanency, so they were left out. So we could be happy if our involved our community healthcare workers now, our uncontracted 
community health care workers, mm. our in state, so that bazo, bazo ba, so that the pressure that we are having right now sure. is okay. Yeah. Because right now, others have to go to go my vaccination site. Mm. vaccine. Others have to go for screening. Sure. Others have to tracing. Go mm. to mm. So the lo- the workload is high. Where else am I going to care workers? I say a guy that doing anything. Younger, let me bring you in here. Um, And I guess, you know, it's a similar issue around the organization of work in the space. Um, I mean, I'm quite interested in in, in sort of your some of your own thoughts, because one gets a sense that all of the other ailments haven't stopped. I mean, it's not like a band by you know, is for Sepepa and many other issues. I mean, some of those issues still present themselves. how do we deal with that and how do we learn uh, in a way that strengthens our health system from this experience? I, uh, um, you know, I, I, I normally say South Africa has a poverty of leadership and that poverty of leadership always plays out in how we implement all the actions that we are supposed to implement. Mm. The, the, South African, <clears throat> the South African healthcare system is a curative system. It, it, it is the one, it, it's a reactive a kind of healthcare system than a proactive healthcare system. We always want to see the complications before we can start dealing with the conditions, mm. which is exactly what happened with the issues of COVID-19. We were in the first um, uh, first wave, which was the one that actually happened started in March, and we we're already speaking of a possible second wave, which would be sometime late in the year, which indeed came by. Mm. And when you look in terms of the healthcare system, in terms of preparation towards that second wave, less was made or little, even none at times, uh, preparations were made. Because by now, Aya, we are, we are talking about being in the search of the third wave mm. and nothing has actually happened to improve the staff, the staff capacity. Nothing has happened to improve the bed capacity. Nothing has happened to basically beef up the morale of the staff in the healthcare space. Nothing has happened since then. So now you basically say we are led by a government that is simply working behind. Mm. Because these are the people that are not doing anything in order to challenge what may come tomorrow. Uh, when I'm speaking about that, Dr. Tali, as well as Sister Nelingapa, spoke about two vital things. There was a time where we were actually running out of oxygen. We needed not to run out of oxygen. Even to date, that becomes a problem. It's mm. still a problem. It mm. did not end then. You speak about issues of linen. That is still a problem that still continues. Now, you are, Aya, you are saying right now, other ailments have not stopped. That is a fact and it's true. Mm. People still must go to, to clinics and consult for their blood pressures as well as their mm. uh, diabetes, mellitus conditions or any other thing that has nothing to do with COVID. The same way people must be in, in hospitals and operated for other, other matters without this COVID. But now, because right now there is this COVID that has also saturated the greater strength of the healthcare system, we find ourselves displaced in terms of actually dealing with what we're able to deal with on a daily basis. Speaking to one of my colleagues earlier today in the, health, in the primary healthcare, is that you've got a challenge where nurses right now in the primary healthcare system must be pulled out from IMCI, from, uh, from all those... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, 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 services that are provided in the healthcare system. IMCI being the EPI, which is the immunization of children. Mm. IMCI seeing all the conditions of the, of the children, as well as those that go for family planning. You pull out that stuff and put them in your vaccination centers. 
what then happens to these services? Right now, you've depleted staff from these services, meaning these services will no longer perform as they used to because you've taken the staff down. They must go and fight what is now presenting, which is now people must go and vaccinate. And even in this very vaccination, there was a time where people were given the Pfizer vaccine, which needed them to come and get the second dose. And then there's uh, Johnson & Johnson, which is giving people a single dose. So now you've got people that were vaccinated back then who now must come back for their second doses. On a daily mm. basis, these people see nothing less than 100 patients or 100 people coming to vaccinate, 200 people at a time. So those are your daily people sure. that you will see to vaccinate. Now, putting to them again, the people that are now coming in for seconds, right now you're speaking about a number of over 400 mm. people that now must be vaccinated mm. on a daily basis by this very overly... Uh, 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 Younger. 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 Let's pause. You see that, uh, let's pause. Let, right younger, 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 younger. The workload has increased. Yeah. Yes, Let, let's pause, my brother, because we've got a Funeske Zambes here, Vengilene. But uh, hey, course, the challenges you're painting, my brother, from Amashiti to uh, all manner <laughs> of other challenges uh, in the public health service. And uh, we'll return to those. We'll also get a chance after this brief break to speak to a paramedic. Jet Club strives to give you more with 17 amazing benefits, which uh, include the likes of uh, educational assistance, 24-hour personal health advice and medical assistance, 150 rand worth of monthly grocery vouchers, fashion vouchers to shop your favorite looks out at Jet stores, 5,000 rand in funeral cover, and so much more. All of this just for 42 rand a month. And you can sign up in-store today and save 350 rand off all of your spend at Jet from the 1st to the 4th of July with the Jet Club exclusive campaign. Don't miss out on all of these amazing deals from the 1st to the 4th of July only. Jet Club, here for you and every part of your life. It is indeed, and uh, we continue our conversation with the health workers in our round table. And just as we, uh, I guess, tie up the conversation, uh, we have a chance to speak to uh, Mpo, who joins us on the line. Mpo Pukheng is the president of the South African Emergency Personnel Union. Mpo, we're trying to paint a picture of uh, how uh, health workers have dealt with this issue. And uh, we know sometimes you guys are the first on the scene. Uh, what have some of your experiences been of uh, this moment of COVID-19 and uh, the implications that it's had on the work that you do? Uh, thank you for having me. Let me actually indicate that uh, the very same COVID that we are we are facing now is, has actually exposed a lot of things. One, the lack of resources, mm. lack of planning, and lack of readiness from the management. Uh, in, why I'm saying this is because uh, our our managers uh, came came to the media and misled the public that they are ready to deal with this thing. Unfortunately. When coming to the implementation part of it, it was very clear that they were not ready and they didn't have tangible plans to deal with this thing. That's why mm-hmm. they end up pulling our members, forcing them to deal to to treat or transport uh, con- confirmed uh, positive uh, COVID patients without uh, PPEs. So that is a challenge because currently, as we speak, we have lost so many members, and now, as we speak, we have seen managers regrouping themselves, claiming overtime illegally so, mm. or defrauding the government because they were not actually allowed to go and deal with patients directly. They are dealing with administrative matters, but because there is a chance for them to steal from government, now they are, they are, they are, we are having a COVID team. That on its own is a indication that uh, in, 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 in the sector, mm. health itself, we don't have managers. We, 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 I'm, I'm concurring with the latter speaker who said, 
we are experiencing a very serious challenge of poverty of, of managers or leaders. That is, those are the challenges that we are having. That is why you can see most of our, 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 our members, in most cases, they spend hours wearing PPEs because they, they have to hand over the patients to the hospital and they mm. are struggling. You wear the PPE for more than four hours uh, without eating, without going to the bathroom. So those are the challenges that people are having. And unfortunately, no one is taking care of that. They will just come to the media board mm. and tell people that they are ready. So they don't have any plan. And we've been telling them that they must come up with a tangible plan. Mm. For instance, they must have uh, teams. The teams, I mean, I don't mean managers. Managers, they must do their mm. administrative work in their offices as usual. You don't have to come down and 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 claim sure, over time sure. unnecessarily. So okay. they must actually have a team per district and ambulances that are assigned specifically mm. to, to deal with the very sure. same uh, confirmed confirmed patients. Mm. But currently, as we speak, we just have we just see ambulance randomly transporting patients from one area to another, yeah. and some of them are. Co- Confirmed paid patients, COVID patients. Sure. So that oh. one is on. How are we going to arrest the situation? Yeah. Or, because ambulances now are used or, or are, sure. are actually assisting the, the, the spread of this COVID. Okay, Mpo. I mean, I think you, you paint this picture so well. Um, and I think if I think about all these different elements that are coming together, uh, it certainly does make for a very interesting picture of all of the challenges that are emerging here. And uh, uh, Dr. Tsepile, I need you to close it off for us. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we have run out of time, but um, you've heard what your colleagues have said, and uh, I guess uh, we've also had the opportunity to uh, hear about what could potentially be done to change the situation. Uh, uh, just the last one, mes- your message to South Africans and also uh, to uh, seemingly, I guess, uh, many of those who employ you. Yeah, um, I think there's, there's a, a lot of things that are, are being repeated by all four of us now. Mm. And I think we'd like to urge the Department of Health and the government to please do what's right so that the department, that the health sector can be fully equipped to deal with this um, pandemic. We've heard of unemployed, I mean, I know of the unemployed um, community health workers mm. who suddenly lost their jobs after the first wave. There are plenty of doctors who are sitting at home. I'm sure there are plenty of nurses. We are short of ambulances. There's a lot of issues in the public health sector which are, which if we're running very well, um, things will be much easier on us all. So mm. please, to the government, Department of Health, please just make things run smoother, prepare better, and make sure that, you know, things are easier on us and that we can help save the lives of the many South Africans that we treat. Yeah, yeah, and I guess uh, also a, a message there, maybe uh, from a behavioural perspective, because I guess you know, in society, has to do with um, you know some of the non-pharmaceutical interventions uh, before it even gets to a hospital. Yeah, so I mean, couldn't be my behaviour because you know um, we we've all been talking about COVID fatigue mm. and. With everything that has happened, we are in lockdown day 400 and something. Sure. Um, yes, we know Guti must um, regularly wash their hands. When you don't need to go. Uh. We know all of that and we we like to repeat that. But I think there's something else that we need yeah. to say to inspire people to, to behave 
uh, accordingly. And sometimes, um, you know, uh, Tepila, that message yeah. sometimes uh, does. I sound if I live in a multi-generational household, akuko space up in Lini, I mean, yeah. you know, I should be moving around. I should be doing all manner of other things. Uh, so, important to me is that on top of the non-formal, all the things that we as South Africans should do, the government should also play its part mm. in making sure that they, they deliver the service. Because at the end of the day, uh, as a regular South African who's trying their best to sure. to abide by the regulations of COVID-19, um, if there's money being looted, if there's things that are not happening, you feel like because at the end of the day, we're going to continue having waves after waves after waves after waves. Mm. We'll have to leave it there. And uh, real pleasure. Thank you, Mpo, Zanele, Yanga, and Tepile for joining us uh, this evening. Uh, community health worker, professional nurse, doctor, uh, and uh, paramedic, respectively. And uh, I guess the message is clear. Let's all hold our end of the bargain, including Ukhulumendewetu. Thank you very much, guys. Real pleasure having you. Sure, Thank you so much. Uh, you have a good evening. Awesome stuff. We'll leave it there now, folks, uh, for this evening. Yeah, on that sobering note. And uh, yeah, I mean, those are the bread and butter issues people are dealing with, you know? Making sure ambulance uh, set aside, dedicated uh, for people who are known to have COVID-19 so that you don't raise the angst, anxiety and uncertainty uh, when you know there's such a strong stigma around this matter and so many other issues, right through from Amashiti to EPPE, you know, to just getting the vaccine program going. And uh, we say strength to all of the uh, health workers, in particular those who are young that are working in the space. We draw inspiration and strength from you, Sianibona. We recognize you and we doff our hat to you this evening. Nangoku, Saibanga, Le Economy.